Welcome to the Soho Playhouse podcast. I'm Darren Lee Cole. This is a show about off-Broadway theater and how it serves the cultural landscapes of New York City, the United States, and the world. We'll chat with the incredible creators and influencers of this unique art form. So now, come with me backstage. Jay Dapper is a native of Las Vegas and principal at Dapper Companies, a company he founded in 2002. After starting his career as a realtor and rental property manager, he soon transitioned to commercial real estate, buying, selling, and managing triple net industrial and office spaces. His early career was defined by landmark purchase and management of marquee developments and has since expanded to include innovative and thoughtful retail office and office warehouse spaces throughout Las Vegas. I met Jay when I first came to Las Vegas and was seeking property to expand Soho Playhouse out west. It was a very fortunate meeting as the Huntridge Theater was not originally on my list of properties to look at, but boy am I glad I found the Huntridge Theater and Jay Dapper. Let's just sort of rewind for uh, everybody listening okay, and learn a little bit more about you and how we actually ended up in this boat okay. on this sea together. Yeah, I, I like that story. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> you're a, a rare animal in that you're a native Las Vegan, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of us out there, but I, I would say that over time, you know, lots of people have moved to Vegas and so there's less and less of us just because there's more and more people from... Well, yeah, it's like New York. Like the rarest from, thing in yeah. New York is a native New Yorker. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, born and raised. Yeah. Great. And so where were you born in Vegas? Uh, I was born at Woman's Hospital, which is no longer in existence. And uh, I was I was born in the late 70s, and it w- which was a really interesting time for Vegas because growing up as a kid of, we'll call it the 80s, the the Las Vegas that I remember as a kid is so different than what we see today. Oh yeah. It was a, it was a very simple, when I say simple place, I mean, it was a real, even though Vegas is a small town today, it was a really small town. You really knew everybody, um, you know, the casino business, you know, although it had taken off and, you know, was around, it wasn't anything like it was today. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't have been called the entertainment capital of the world at that point. Sure, people would come here, but it was, I think, usually if somebody was playing Vegas for a long period of time, they weren't considered a headliner. It was like where they went to die. Right. And yeah. uh, so it was It was a different time. Like the MLS in soccer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's where we'll last see Ronaldo, and it, I mean last see yes, Ronaldo. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that That is very interesting. But what, what was that like? What, what was your relationship? as a native son to that vibe like were you aware of that i mean you're what 10 years old yeah 12 I, years old i mean it, you know it's weird so bad like right now today uh, i have young children that are you know in that age range and i mean there's times when we go to a casino like recently i took my kids to the stratosphere and we went all the way to the top and and actually since we went there they that's all they talk about they love the idea that they went up there we didn't go on any rides but you know just to be able to see the city from that perspective for those that don't know by the way going on the rides up there takes a special yeah. uh ounce of courage you, they fly it. off the building i you would never not you have to have big balls you yeah. really have to have a pair <laughs> yeah. to get on to one of those rides yeah they, for those that don't know it literally there's like this caterpillar thing that extends out I know. from the top of the tallest building yeah, I th- well, I think the big shot to me is the one that, I mean, and I've done it. I haven't done it for a long time, but I mean, it launches you all the way up, you know, way, you know, higher than the top of the the, the deck. And it, yeah, it's frightening. Yeah. <laughs> well, then maybe that explains why you wanted to get into the theater business with me. Exactly. <laughs> nice <You> and all- <laughs> safe. But, but yeah, no, growing up as a kid, um, you know, in, in Las Vegas, what I was saying is, you know, we, I don't take my kids to casinos very often, but when I was growing up, not that my parents gambled cause they really didn't, but you just went to casinos more often to like grab a bite to eat. Um, you know, or you'd have people visit you, you know, from out of town. And so 
that you would go out to lunch or dinner with them. Um, I remember as a kid, so my mom, uh, when she moved to Vegas, um, her first job was working at Caesar's palace. And what did she do? What was her job? So her very first job working at Caesar's palace, she, um, Cleopatra's barge, which is still there. Yeah. She put a bathing suit on and swam around inside the water and actually cleaned it out. That was her very first job. That's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then she went on from there to uh, work in engineering and then other posts throughout the casino. But she she became friends with everybody. And uh, she became friends with a guy named Billy Underwood who ran the pool. And, you know, at that time, like running the pool at Caesars Palace. That was a big that was it was were, a big job and a big it, cheese in town. Yeah. Oh, point. you were the man. And you know, so you know, going back to like what my interaction was with, you know, Las Vegas, we used to be able to go anytime we want to the pool at Caesars and, you know, have a nice place to like a cabana and hang out. Hang out. And and so you felt like, you know, you were somebody or you felt like, you know, you were getting this treat that, you know, most people don't get to experience. And it was a pretty normal thing. I mean, we did it. I mean, I don't say think we did it like every weekend, but you know, in, in a summer, you know, I'd probably go there twenty times. Wow. And you know, it, 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 did your parents meet here in Vegas? They did. Yeah, my dad at the time. So my mom was working in the engineering department, I think, at Caesars, and my dad uh, was a, a part owner in uh, Silver State, which was at the time it was the garbage company. Yeah. So now it's called Republic Services. Um, and my dad came calling on, you know, my mom because she was in engineering and engineering dealt with the trash and yeah. that's how they met. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was, um, he, he was a, 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 a small minority owner in the company, but also a vice president that was in charge of like the commercial business. And, uh, and so, yeah, he walked in there and met my mom and then the rest they, is history as yeah, I say. Exactly. Well, that's fabulous. Uh, the reason I ask these questions is it's like a New Yorker has a different perspective of New York than visitors do. For sure. And same with Londoners and London. It feels that way in Vegas too. It's like, do you yeah. feel like there's a camaraderie or For sort sure. of a special bond For with sure. those that came up with you? That exists. Or, yeah, it exists in a big it way. It feels be, like it. Well, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know, you don't remember some of these things that I'm talking about. Maybe you came here once or twice or 10 times. Yeah. But the experience that you had um, is different than the experience we had. We would go to, you know, a casino or a hotel. And again, parents not being gamblers, but you would know valet parkers. So, you know, they would put, put your car up front, take good care of you. Um, you would get freebies and comps and things. You know, um, the town was small. There was things that you know, you got access to event wise, like when the Grand Prix came um, at Caesar's Palace, it was in the spot where the forum shops was like I got to meet Mario Andretti. And I remember that as a child. And I mean, like, you know, I, I really didn't grow up in a like an affluent home. And, you know, so it was like a big deal. Like at that time, you know, he was on top of the world and I got to go meet this, you know, world famous, uh, you know, race car driver. And I feel like some of those things could only happen in a place like Las Vegas because um, it was at that time such a small place and there was special cool things going on. So in like the 80s, 90s, what was the division, for lack of a better word, between like downtown and the Strip? Because um, I remember, like you said, I would have come in some years once and other years when my sister moved out here in the 80s 10 times or more a year. And it was really two different worlds, right? Yeah. It was two different worlds. But today, I think it's maybe even further apart than it was back then. That's what is, it feels like. Like, that hasn't actually grown closer together. That's further, yeah. So the reason that it was closer back then is because I would say that, you know, downtown was a little bit more, and it's, you know, it, it has nothing to do with, like, seediness or anything like that. But I would say that, you, if you closed your eyes and you found yourself in a casino in the 80s uh, in downtown Las Vegas 
and you closed your eyes and you found yourself in a casino on the strip, I would say that those casinos would look kind of similar yeah. and, and they would have similar characteristics and they'd all have coffee shops. Well, they're all relying back then on gaming yeah. on gaming and basically even the same layout format. Yeah. And maybe even the same customer, you yeah. know? And, and so and that's what technologies that's appealing to that customer would have there would have been a blanket application of it. Exactly. I mean, I like I said, I, I can remember when I stood outside of the Mirage and it was under construction and it was, you know, this amazing big, you know, resort. So you think, go back to that point in time and you think about what was, you know, on the strip at that point before the Mirage because that was really the first big mega resort and everything kind of resembled the same. So I think that geographics was really the only difference, right, at that point. And... Um, now is the Mirage wins first? It was big. Well, no. It, um, Who so, did the Mirage? So Steve Wynn built the Mirage, and that was his first big ground-up project. But he started off owning the Golden Nugget downtown, right? And so that was, um, you know, I think he used uh, Michael Milken's junk bonds to build it. Well, that's a very interesting story, story to me. It is. I, I don't know a lot about seminal it. Seminal change. I've been yeah. getting to do the research on that because I think there's a show in there. Uh, there's certain things that, in retrospect, are bigger than they seemed at the time they happened. For and sure. that's one of them. Oh, that sh- it changed the landscape. Completely. Yeah. How casinos are financed. Uh, you know. Yeah, b- well, because before that, it was, you know, like, the, really, the, b- Steve Wynn is always credited as, like, the guy that changed the landscape of Las Vegas. But if you ask Steve Wynn, he'll tell you it was Jay Sarno. You know, because right. Jay Sarno really, he was the one who built Caesar's Palace, which was really the first themed casino done really well. And uh, Jay Sarno. And a generation of people like me made famous, like not to, you can never underestimate promotions. Like I know Caesar's Palace because Evil Knievel jumped the fountains there. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm one of millions and millions of people yeah. who make that association. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, uh, there's a book called Grandissimo and it tells the story of Jay Sarno's Sarno. life yeah. Yeah. and talks a lot about the, um, friendship and relationship that evil and Jay had. And, uh, I think that it's a super interesting story, but also just to go through like his life and how he find, you know, you talked about that pivotal mo- moment. So when he was out building casinos, it was done with pension fund money which is everybody knows union, uh, union run and which unions are run ha- by has associations with the mob. So, yeah. you know, you get to that point, that's kind of like the break off where you go, okay, that's, you know, Vegas started to go a little bit more corporate because, you know, that was like public money. You know, they say junk bonds, but at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about public, you know, stock bonds, public and securities. Like exactly. Yeah. yeah. So where did, uh, if you can remember as a young person, where did entertainment specifically fit in like not entertainment, like go to a pool entertainment or, or go to an amusement park, but entertainment as we know it at Soho Playhouse, like go see shows. Was it all uh, floor shows? Uh, yeah. Comedians. What was your association with it or what's your memories of the entertainment landscape of the time? So, I mean, I went to, shows in showrooms and saw, you know, like, you know, like what I would consider to be like, you know, like I remember being a 10 year old kid sitting in a showroom and seeing like topless ladies yeah. walk around the stage. And I thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I couldn't believe that but somehow that, I, that I got there and yeah, that, that was going on. And then and nobody was, was stopping you. And I was <laughs> sipping a Shirley temple. You like, you think about something like that going on today and you're just like, no way, like never going to happen, but it happened. Like, and it wasn't, you know, uh, like it wasn't outrageous at the time or unseemly. No, it wasn't. Way. No. And that's the thing is, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, is it that bad? And, you know, I mean, did it affect me in any way? I, I don't think that it did, but I mean, I saw a bunch of those kinds of shows. Uh, I think the very first concert that I ever went to was, was at Caesar's palace and it was the beach boys. My mom took me to that oh, concert. Yeah. Um, I remember the first concert that I well ever, done, mom. Yeah, she. Yeah, and it was it was amazing. I rem, I can remember it to this day. The first concert I ever went to without a parent 
was uh, at Sam Boyd Stadium, and it was uh, U2. Oh, wow. The Zoo TV tour, I remember that. Um, but when you, you know, you say, like, what was entertainment like? Entertainment wasn't anything like it is today. I think that Vegas is, a, you know, is at the top of the heap. I think that uh, people that are at the top of their careers want to come here. I think that people... That's been a big shift. Huge shift. And I think that um, that's why this is such a pivotal moment for Soho, for the Smith Center, and for everything that's going on. Because I think people, they tend to believe you come to Vegas now, and you're going to see shows and entertainment and performers, all things that you really can't see elsewhere. Not just the topless review no, of the no. old days. No. Well, and, and I think that there's also a, a big difference. Like, you can see some of these performers in New York and in LA and in San Francisco, but there's not the abundance of really amazing entertainment. Somebody could come to Vegas and stay two weeks and for 14 days, you can see something that will blow your mind. Yeah. Like whether it's Elton John or Celine Dion or a play or, you know, a concert in an arena or, you know, now the advent, you know, sports, right? Yeah. And so, I don't think that there's a place anywhere in the world today where you can go and you can have those kinds of experiences. And so I think that that's what's really redefined our city. And I think that in the future, that's what we're going to be known for. I completely agree with that. And in fact, I'm really looking forward to contributing to that in, in the near future. Uh, you mentioned the Smith Center and uh, the various things that you can do. That was a game changer. Uh, it was Smith Center. What I Byron was, Martin did there, uh, so that's that was a huge leap. It was for a huge Vegas. Leap. Uh, you want to describe for uh, people what the Smith Center was? I mean, that's an arts, a major arts center in downtown Las Vegas that has zero income from gaming. Yeah, it's it's a pure cultural arts center. It is, uh, and I also. Uh, I mean, I, I have to say that when I first heard that they were going to be building that, so I knew nothing about, um, you know, the production and, and, you know, plays and things like that. Not a world that I came from. And certainly, you know, as growing up, I didn't see anything like that. So Well, that's the big thing is everything we've talked about about your growing up. There's no mention of plays or musicals no. or anything as we would normally define the major swath of entertainment yeah. coming out of Soho Playhouse in New York. No. It was pretty much a void of that until the Smith Center, right? For sure. And and if you would have just rewound, you know, short history, you know, back before the, the Smith Center opened and you would have asked me, what do I think about, you know, something like this coming to Vegas? I would have said, no way. It won't work. It's, you know, doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I would have literally said, uh, it's going to fail. And it's it's easy to understand why my perspective is like that, and it's because I was never exposed to it, so I didn't know anything about it. It's really hard to understand how something that's never existed here, you know, that kind of content could be successful. But then you have perspective and you realize, like, there's 40 million people a year that come here. Many of those people seek that kind of thing out, and we've just never had it. And I also think that, the local community who lives here has been thirsty for that. Well, I think that was, as Myron was telling me, that was the most pleasant surprise. Yeah. Is what percent rapidly of his audience became the local community. For and, sure. And not tourist. For sure. Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, like my mother-in-law loves going to performances at the Smith Center. She has, you know, season tickets. My mom volunteers there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. I'm a real, um. It's a it's a place that people love. They love to go see shows. Um, it's and they feel like they're a part of it. They feel like it's a part of Vegas for sure and an important part. Yeah, and it and it was done well. Um, even though it was ground up, you know, you, you go to the building and it it feels substantial and like it's important. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was part of making it success, successful. You know, because usually when you have you feel like that way in a building it's the building's old and it has you know importance like from 
history. It did feel like they created that right from the start, day yeah. one. Yeah, they did a good job. And it also proves the theory, you know, culture and arts brings such growth and positivity around it. Like, look at Symphony Park now. Yeah. And all the development since. Yeah, I really think it it, it anchored that part of the the city. And I think that it, it made it easy for other people who are doing totally different things, whether it's multifamily development or other things, to say, okay, I'll plant my flag here and I'll be next to, you know, this thing that ended up working out and being very successful. And that's what uh, overall development's all about, right? It's yeah. really hard to go look at the arts district 10 years ago and say, um, you know, I can see like, uh, you know, restaurants like Esther's and coffee shops like Vesta working there. Like it seems like a pipe dream. The moment those places are open and thriving and you can walk by and see people in them, it's like a no brainer. Yeah. So somebody has to come first. Yeah. That's a, that's another, I think major uh, contributing factor to why Soho Playhouse is eager to come and be part of the community. What you're talking about that arts district which is sort of the area in between the Strip and downtown, mm -hmm. has really organically blossomed, hasn't yeah, it? it has. Into sort of what major cities have, like a Greenwich Village or a Soho in London. It feels like that's a naturally organic arts community that has grown up out of Vegas. It has. It yeah. isn't Disney Presents. No. Uh, Greenwich Village. Tons of different owners of businesses, tons of different owners of real estate. Um, the And, you know, why that happened was really simple. When, you know, the last real estate crash happened and then, you know, things started to kind of progressively come out of that crash, um, you could buy at that time properties inside, you know, on Main Street in the Arts District for a reasonable price and make things pencil. So that translates to business owners being able to open up coffee shops at a reasonable price, restaurateurs to be able to open up restaurants. And so that organic thing did occur and it, and it, it occurred because it was the right, um, the, the right ingredients at the time. Today, you know, it gets harder and harder to, to, to make that happen because now those same buildings and the rents and all of those things have increased. Yeah. So obviously, if it costs me more to buy a building, and it costs more to build it, certainly today, then the tenant has to pay more rent, mm -hmm. and that means they have to do more sales. But it's also more reasonable for them to do more sales because now there's a lot more people walking around. And it feels like it's made a massive change in the quality of life for local Las Vegas people to have that. The ones that have ventured down and know what's going on. It's amazing to me i mean the one thing i love doing podcasts and and you know exposing people to this because there are there are a lot of people that know what's going on in downtown but there's a lot of people who don't and for no for no good reason you know it's just they've never ventured into downtown well why not is it is it carrying over uh a negative history like that no. was a dangerous neighborhood or there was nothing there or yeah I, th I think they don't know so if you if you live up in Summerlin and you know you have kids and you've got a you know a nice comfortable life and you go to your office or your work and then you go back home Is this your autobiography yeah right now exactly okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're you got a busy life and you got all this stuff going on it takes effort to drive to downtown. It takes effort. You know, it's not, even though everything's available, you know, on Google and you can find, you know, you could find Vesta coffee, but you still have to be in the know. And so it takes, I mean, I think that the world is still old fashioned in the way where like if I, I just left having coffee with somebody that I haven't seen in a long time and we talked about a lot of things. We talked a little bit about downtown, you know, and he was very impressed with what's going on in downtown. We didn't get into the more, you know, like, have you been to Vesta Coffee? Have you been to Esther's Kitchen? But what I know We're about... Doing that, we may as well shout out Bungalow and Makers and Finders, too. So I'm still allowed to have coffee there. Absolutely. <laughs> all, all of those places. 
But but what was interesting is so this guy definitely is a, like a Summerlin guy, but the company that he just uh, started working for is called Mountain West, and they're in Wholesome Lofts, you know, on Charleston. And so he loves it down here. You know, he loves what's going on. It, but if he didn't have that office there, do I think he would be down here experiencing that? No, I don't. But then he tells people about how amazing and cool it is. And so, you know, going back to what I was saying is I think that it really does take that old fashioned thing where you're telling people like, hey, have you gone checked out this place? Have you, you know, have you experienced this? And that's what it takes for people to, you know, actually venture out and try something new. And then when they do that, then they're, they're an advocate for it. And then they're, they're, you know, telling their friends. And then, I mean, that's how downtown gets better and better. Obviously, the people that live here, they're already cheerleaders for downtown, right? If you live here, you know how great all these places are. But it takes more than that. We've got to get, you know, there's only a finite amount of people that are in this little area. And so we've got to not only tell the people that live in Summerlin and Henderson what's going on, but also we've got to communicate that to the world, to the 42 million people a year that come here. So they want to come down here. So that's a good uh, segue into what we're about to launch together. So tell me about the first time you saw or knew about the Huntridge Theater, which is in downtown Las Vegas. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the, the first time that I knew about it because, I mean, it was, it was always there for you. Right? It was always there. And I mean, you know, I, I mean, I drove by it when I was four years old. So, I mean, it was always there. The first time that it, it meant anything to me, I would say, was when, not when it was a movie theater, but when it became a concert venue. So if you would, give a quick, if you can, and I'll add if I need to, but you probably know better than I at this point. What's the history of the Huntridge Theater? So, okay, I'm going to tell you the history of it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to... You're going to cheat. And you can, I'm going to cheat a little. You, you can <laughs> no, that's going to be good. And you can, you can. Well, the Huntridge Theater is designed by S. Charles Lee, which is, is one of the things that first turned me on. It's a very famous architect. Very famous architect. Who did show palaces and movie theaters that were on a scale. And that's, I think, built in 1941 or 44. Uh, here in Vegas. So yeah, it was originally, uh, it was completed in 1944. I think they broke ground in 41 and completed in 44. Yeah. So in 1933, um, the businessman, it's Lee S. J. Hunt. He passes away and Lee S. J. Hunt. Is that where Huntridge yes. comes from? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he passes away and he leaves the land to his son uh, Henry Lee Hunt. And so that was basically the start of that, all that area. So that area being the Huntridge neighborhood of downtown Las Vegas. Correct. And then when he developed it, you know, he developed it as a 950 seat Huntridge theater. You know, that's when it opened up. As a movie palace. Yes. And I mean, at the time that's, that's a huge theater. Because what's the population of Vegas back then? Clark Clark County, it was twenty five thousand. So, that, so that's that's like that's massive relative. Yes, to massive. what's here? Too, it's too big, way too big. Yeah, it's but, the first overbuilt, whatever. <laughs> it started a tradition. It did. <laughs> um, so then you know over the years, but it has some. Sorry to interrupt you, but it has some fame also because it started, which was unusual. And I think it might have been uniquely an integrated theater experience for the audience. It was, yeah. So um, there was a guy named uh, Lloyd Katz, and he was the operator of the theater. And uh, I believe he was uh, in control from about 1951 on, and he made it the first, uh, um, you know, in, in uh, he makes it the first racially integrated theater in Nevada. So at that point. And that's obviously very early on. Um, well, in in some perspectives, uh, gratefully early on, but tragically late, also. Yes. But there you go. Yeah, and the world has fortunately changed quite a bit. I mean, when you but you also have to think about the time of history. So that was still. Um, what, I mean, there was you know the Moulin Rouge Hotel was built because 
you know, there was still like Sammy Davis Jr. was playing with the Rat Pack, but couldn't stay in the hotel that he was playing in. Yeah, it's one of the most famous and incredulous and it, stories. Well, and I mean, I wasn't around back then, and I've heard it so many times, and I just can't even imagine something like that going on. But um, so, I mean, it gives you context when you think like, so that was a big deal, right? For somebody to say, okay, this theater, you know, is going to not, you know, they're not going to say you can't come in or you can't be here, which it, now we think that that's insane. But, you know, back then it was like big deal. Um, So all throughout 50, basically for the first 40 plus years of the theater's life, it had multiple operators and it was a movie theater at one time it was you know a single movie theater and then there was a point in time when they split it in half and it was two theaters and during that time you know like in the early or the late 70s and the early 80s when i was a kid you know i don't i don't ever remember going there to see a movie that's i i don't think that i did i drove by it a million times i knew of it but i don't think i ever went to a movie there um and it was just because it wasn't close to my house. Right. But um, what I do remember is, you know, when I finally got to be 14, 15, 16, and there started to be concerts there. Well, it had quite a heyday. It did. As a concert venue. Well, and hopefully it's going to have more because I know that, you know, part of what we believe is the recipe to, to success here is not that it just becomes a performing arts theater, that it also, you know, is a place where you see concerts. And I, I've seen uh, some very positive comments about Soho Playhouse, what we've got planned. Mm-hmm. And then also people who are, and, and I think part of what we have to do is get the word out that, you know, we're in order to, for this to be successful, there's going to be many different things that are going to be at the Hunter's Theater. There's a chance that some of those amazing shows of the past that people, you know, are so, um, that they identify with, they remember, it's like part of their fabric and what they love about the Hunter's Theater. I think it's important that we tell the story that, you know, that actually can happen again. So that would be very interesting and exciting to see which band will get that nod to uh, reopen the Huntridge. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one of the things that I've been asked, if if there's one thing that people ask me, I mean, they want to know what's going on. They want to know what the plan is. But every single person that I talk to, they say, like, who do you think the person is that's going to open the Huntridge? And, I mean, I I have, you know, in my mind, like, I can imagine that night. You know, like, I can imagine a band and i'm not saying that this is my pick by any means because it's not but whether it's like you know the red hot chili peppers or uh you know the killers or you know uh green day or all bands that are the offspring famously have played the huntridge porno for pyros i mean like there's a there's a million bands that i can imagine that it's like we need to go out and talk to and say hey do you want to come and open the hundred yeah that's going to be so exciting i can't wait because i envision that and it will be great fun reconnecting with a lot of those people some of whom i know already and some who i can't wait to meet and re-energize it but also to reach out to new oh yeah and and younger bands and let them know that that they have a home now in vegas that well i'm happy you brought that up so i i i really believe and you know at the end of the day Although, you know, this is a partnership between us. I mean, you're going to, this is going to be your theater. Um, But I really hope that what is truly embraced um, in the future. Actually, if you know what, it's a perfect time to pause that thought and let's fill everybody in on, I think we're assuming everybody knows our plan and they may not know what we're up to. Sure. So uh, we're entering into a long-term deal Mm -hmm. where Soho Playhouse will be the sole operator of the Huntridge theater the theater but there's more to it than that there is yeah yeah so we're going to be as you know we're going to be um renovating the theater we're going to be adding a mezzanine which is going to make the space more dynamic and more usable so it'll appeal to you know more concerts and more events 
um, you know, we'll be able to have a portion of it seated and a portion of it standing or all of it seated. Yeah, the design concept is to have a movable risers or movable seating situation. So you could have an 1,100-seat concert venue in there. Or 2,000. Or 2,000 and open it up completely or bring it all the way in and make a more like 450-seat off-Broadway seated experience in there as well. Exactly. And I think that having that flexibility is going to go a long way to helping you attract a lot of great shows. But then there's another component to it, and that is, you know, we've got a, a, a nice chunk of land and we've got the ability to have some additional, we'll call it venues or spaces that, you know, will really allow us to program and um, you use the theater, you know, hopefully 365 days a year is the hope, right? Yeah. We're uh, close to it. Yeah. And so um, I've ne I never, before I met you, I never heard the term black box theater. And now I kind of understand what that is, but we'll call it 199 seats. Yeah. Uh, small Flexible. You can do any kind of yeah. performance in their space. Mm -hmm. Flexible, smaller, more intimate. Um, and you know, allows you to be a little bit more nimble. It doesn't take maybe as much setup. And so we're going to build one of those at the back of the Huntridge theater. And then, uh, the idea of a cabaret theater, you know, something where, you know, and Vegas now start, is starting to understand what that is. I mean, you know, I recently went to now what is one of my favorite restaurants in town and, uh, you know, the Bellagio decided that they were going to put together, you know, this new restaurant. Mayfair? Mayfair, yeah. Yeah, we took up my sister to dinner there on her big birthday, and we had a ball. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, the idea behind, you know, dinner and a show, I mean, that was like old Vegas, right? But we haven't seen that for a long time, and so that kind of came back. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in a cabaret theater, and, you know, the way that that makes you feel and the type of show that works there. Um, I've been all around the world. Um, I when I uh, got married and went on my honeymoon, we went to uh, Australia and um, I visited, you know, in Sydney, the, the opera house and which was an amazing experience. And I only knew the opera house is like this massive, no, but it's the smaller rooms in there that, that are cool. Well, that's so the I went and I saw a show inside the cabaret theater and it was a very special show and it, yeah, we loved it. And, um, the the point of this is is that I wouldn't have been able to really even experience the opera house except for walking through it if I didn't get to go to this smaller show. And so So we're gonna build the ability to do that on property. Yeah. We're gonna do that. And then there's gonna be two food and beverage components, um, you know, two different operators. They're gonna be very We're both very excited about those potential partnerships they're they're going to be amazing and because the right partners there are really going to make the whole thing make the project soar. And, and it's going to be uh, i don't want to say it's going to be easy to find those partners because we have a long list of people who are interested um it's it's going to be easy because there's an abundance of people that want to be involved it's going to be hard because we're going to have to make a hard decision i like making a hard decision but it's going to be hard because there's going to be a lot of very qualified people that have great concepts that we're going to end up not doing and yeah. because there's only two spots. And so it's that's an exciting thing. And, and there's going to be a lot of interaction between what you're doing at the theater and both of these food and beverage components. And so I think that there's... So now we're up to an 1,100, 1,200-seat convertible to 450-seat revitalization of the Huntridge Theater, new buildings that will house a 199-seat black box and approximately a 100-seat cabaret theater, yep. two awesome right-on-frontage of Maryland, right off Charleston, uh, food and beverage concepts. Mm -hmm. And what goes on uh, over at that park? Well, so hopefully if things work out and we get the city's support... Um, the plan is that, you know, we're going to build some type of a outdoor amphitheater and uh, a space for uh, local artists. I'm to be able to very, thrive. very excited about that, by yep. the way. And, you know, I, I think that it's important. It's an important piece of the puzzle. I think that having that park be available for artists, performers and people who, you know, are um, passionate about like the art, for instance, the arts district, 
although, you know, we could have first Friday events. Um, there's stuff that happens outside stuff that happens inside in galleries. There, there's no place like if we wanted to go out and, uh, install some large scale art, you know, uh, installations right now, the arts district and downtown in general doesn't have a place where we could do that. And I think that that park, uh, the Huntridge park, which, you know, it's just is directly adjacent to our building ties into that. And I think that it's instrumental to, to making a, a, a successful kind of almost like a campus. Yeah, well, that's the whole idea uh, is to make that. Now, you've done a lot of uh, road building, as it were, and you've made a lot of headway already in the Huntridge neighborhood because uh, you've developed uh, the shopping center that's actually a, a, right across the Maryland Parkway, right? Yeah, re renovated it, built some new buildings. I've got um, another one, another property that I own at Maryland in Bonneville that we just completed. And then the Hendrickson Butler building, which was, you know, at one time the gambler's bookstore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've worked a lot with the neighborhood. We love that neighborhood. We think that the house is behind there. Um, it's a special neighborhood that's um, up and coming. You know, there's a lot of people buying those houses and renovating them. They've got great architecture. Um, Seems like a perfect confluence of uh, native Vegas citizens that have been in that neighborhood for some time and new young Las Vegas families coming into that neighborhood. It just feels like the right time at the right place, the Huntridge neighborhood, to expand the local thinking of what is the arts district and what is downtown and how it all works together. You and I have discussed this. I mean, there seems to me to be a natural geography there's, which is the current arts district on both sides of Charleston around Main Street to Las Vegas Boulevard. And then there's the Fremont East, very artistic district there. And then there's the Huntridge as another point. Now there's the new Gay and Lesbian Center that's on Maryland that's in between Fremont and the Huntridge. I feel like that's a natural geography for an expanded artistic, cultural downtown experience. It is. I, I agree with you. Uh, and um, we were starting to touch on it a little bit, but I also will say that I think that there is a huge component of this project that you know we, we uh, need to talk about, and I think that it has to be a part of this. Um, you know, We have tons of amazing musicians and performers that are in our city. You know, Some of them are working on the strip. Some of them are working in lounges. And there really isn't a place where everybody goes, you know, let's say to that local band to have, let's say, a concert. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about big names, you know, but I also want to see this be the place where people can go and have, you know, like, let's say you're a successful musician and you want to have a show. Um, very unlikely you're going out and booking, you know, the House of Blues. Right. Um not because the person maybe can't, but it just it it doesn't feel right. Yeah, and I can see the Huntridge Theater becoming that place where you know local music lives. Yes, um, local performers live. Yes, you know, like what if you're you, you could be a comedian. My great and my good new friends uh, at a company like Majestic Theater Company. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know they do shows. There, you know Troy's doing a wonderful job over there, but it. It, you know the way that they have to plan it's a smaller theater you do four six week run well what if you have a big hit right and you already have your next show book behind it now there'll be a place for local theater companies and like las vegas theater company and the little theater company and these companies will now have a place to organically grow into as well absolutely and i think that there's probably a lot of things that even don't exist today i mean you know we're seeing um the Monday's dark, um, you know, the, I mean, just the concept of that, you know, and, and how that came about so interesting to me and I love it. I love the idea of it. I love the concept of it and it, and it was created and started essentially in a warehouse, you know, which it's, it's wonderful. It's, a, it's my biggest night at my bar Every, uh, once a month in New York. Yeah. Because for people that don't know, uh, a traditional Broadway schedule 
uh, you'll do eight shows a week with one day off, that one day off being Monday. Mm -hmm. So Monday is the one night all Broadway stars like to get together and have a couple of drinks and just play for each other. Yeah, have fun. And have fun and like get the piano going and get the drinks flowing. And you need a place for that that becomes sort of a, a, a core and a, and a home for local artists. For sure. So there's there's all these, I mean, like I think the, the, the um, possibilities are endless. You know, and that's the whole point is I think it's important for people to understand that it's not just a performing arts venue. It's not just a cabaret theater. It's not just a black box theater. It's not just a concert venue. It's it's it can be many, many different things. I mean, on one night, you know, I'd love to know that, you know, we've got some major band playing and the next night there's, you know, whether it's something like Monday's Dark or if there's, uh, you know, an amazing cabaret show. And then, you know, it could be a great local band. There, There is a place that I absolutely love that I feel like the Huntridge will become similar to. But we've we've got even a bigger opportunity to do more things. It's, it does lots of different things. It's called the Belly Up. Oh, is that out of Austin? No, there's so there's two of them. There's one in Solana Beach. Oh, yeah. And then there's one in Aspen, Colorado. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. But the one in Solana Beach... Uh, it's kind of the cool venue. It's it's where everybody wants to play. You know, like it's not... I mean, it's it's very small. It's like the Huntridge Theater. In fact, it's a little... I think it's a little smaller than the Huntridge Theater. But if you're going to play the belly up, it's... First of all, it's the best place to see a show. It's the best place to see a performance. But what I love about it is that on a Tuesday... Or how about this? On a Thursday... There's some amazing local band that you really would love to see, and they f they feel like they're special because they're getting to play the belly up. And then the very next night, you've got a huge band playing there. It's like uh, where I cut my some of my early years. I cut my teeth at the Beacon Theater in New York. Yeah. And it was so cool because the local bands that were really about to make it and that were bigger than CBGB's, at the time and yeah. really starting to emerge got to play the beacon and it was exactly like you said that was a big deal for local bands but then also uh, the next night mick and keith would come in and do an unplugged set yeah. in front of a thousand people because the stones were playing giant stadium the next night yeah but they were way more excited to play the beacon for sure well and i hopefully that happens a lot here i mean you know hopefully these huge bands and acts and people are here for residencies you know, they do their they do their uh, day gig, what they have to do, you know, on the strip. And then my hope is... We politely prefer... We call that your paying job. Yeah, the paying <laughs> job. And then, and then, you know, when they when they do something... Hey, when the Killers opened up Allegiant Stadium, you know, they... Uh, or sorry, T-Mobile. They opened up T-Mobile. Um, you know, that night, they went to the bunkhouse... And they did a performance at the bunkhouse that I was at. And it was like, it was insane. Yeah. And it, I mean, was there, I, I saw both performances and, you know, was the performance, you know, that was all buttoned up and, you know. Both are great. Both are great. But no, there was, it was no different. I'd rather be and at the bunkhouse. There's no doubt that <laughs> if you ask any of them, I mean, I've never asked them, but I guarantee you they're going to tell you the bunkhouse performance is the one that they loved. And it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the motto of Soho Playhouse, which is people go to Broadway to look. They come off Broadway to listen. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it kind of describes that experience. Yeah. Like you go to Allegiant Stadium and it's going to be that. Yeah. But that same band or that same act can come in an off-Broadway mode and yep. you get a much more intimate and personalized relationship with the act. Yep, I agree. And that's what we're striving for. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Well, I'm telling you what, uh, Soho Playhouse is fully committed to this. Can't wait. Uh, we really feel like we found the right partner and we searched, as you know, yeah. for a year and a half uh, before coming to our conclusion that uh, Dapper is, Companies was the truly the right fit. For with us. the Huntridge Theater, though, is I'm telling you, it's the uh, the fit and the, you know, like with what you've done in the past, what you want to bring to this. There, there's no doubt in my mind that this this is the right fit not only for you but the right fit for the theater 
Yeah, well, I completely agree, and I'm really looking forward to this journey that we're going to take together, Jay. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is, and hopefully everybody in Vegas will be able to uh, share in the windfall of this. So if you want to learn more about the Huntridge Theater, there, tell us about, you're making a documentary, aren't you, about the sort of... So I'm not making it, but yeah, somebody is working on it, a gentleman by the name of Chandos in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and uh, he's going to follow the renovation of the Huntridge Theater, which is very exciting. Right, and you can catch us on SohoPlayhouseLV.com already, yep. and, and we're, we're currently updating that as we progress. Yeah, and we have lots of information about the history of the Huntridge Theater, um, which I encourage everybody to check out because it's an amazing and unique history for Las Vegas. It is. We've got the concert history. We've got um, what's going on. There's a lot of information. So if you go to thehuntridge.com, um, that's the website for the venue, which um, and, it, and it's got, you know, lots of information about Soho Playhouse. Awesome. And and a lot of other great information. So. Uh, if you want to know more about the project, go to thehuntridge.com. Yeah, because it will be a, probably a couple of years in development from this moment going forward. Although that being said, uh, I want to alert the audience that we'll be bringing programming sooner than that I to agree. Las Vegas. Yeah. And we'll be working together, finding appropriate venues until we're up and running. Right. And and that's going to happen more and more. We recently had a video shoot at the Huntridge Theater um, with a very big name. And sh she shot her new mu music video there. And as soon as that music video drops, we're going to have that on our, uh, on our website so everybody can see it. But it's pretty cool that the entire production of that video, um, she was here for the Latin Grammys, was done inside and out in front of the Huntridge Theater. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody be sure to check that out. Jay, thanks for joining us thanks, on Soho Playhouse Podcast. Yeah. Wonderful to have you, and what a bright future we have together. Awesome, man. Thanks for listening to the Soho Playhouse Podcast. hope that we inspire you to attend a show at our flagship Soho Playhouse in New York City or at our new location in Las Vegas, or for that matter, wherever creative theater lives in your town. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. If you have a question or comment, reach out to us. Our email address is mail at SohoPlayhouse.com. And to find out a lot more about who we are and what we do, go to SohoPlayhouse.com. And remember, as Edward Albee said, people come to Broadway to look. They come off Broadway to listen. <laughs>